0: You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Good morning, Real Life. We continue our journey through this uh, series on seven mountains. Um, If there were... uh, The the whole series is built around this premise. There are seven areas, seven spheres of influences. We call them mountains that if you... um, can strategically find yourself on these mountains you can be placed in a way that that impacts and influences culture and we started right off the bat i was here for week one and we said this can't be about culture wars like this isn't about taking the world back for jesus i don't know if you know this the world is already jesus's he never lost it in the first place uh, there's a there's a whole other conversation that maybe we'll even scratch the surface of today. I, if there were two mountains that are, maybe we might call them a little bit more familiar territory for us as Jesus followers. That was the first two weeks. We talked about family. We talked about church. Uh, if there's two mountains that were like, yeah, yeah, this feels, I'm, I feel comfortable in this conversation. Um, those, those were it. From here on out, it gets horribly awkward uh, and tricky Um, because there's all kinds of conversations that that happen. I I forgot I was even up this week Josh Gray texted me I was in Missoula on Monday he's like hey are you here on Thursday and I'm like I do happen to be coming through town on Thursday. I can't remember why (laughs) he says you're up I'm like oh yeah that's right so what's the topic and they said education and I went I started breaking out in cold sweats Um, because this is a lot trickier of a conversation. And let me give you some context of my own life so that you can understand why I feel that way. I was raised uh, in conservative, fundamentalist, uh, evangelical Christian upbringing. Not fanatical, not crazy, um, but conservative, fundamentalist, evangelical Christian upbringing. I was surrounded by uh, focus on the family, And Dr. James Dobson, Um, my mom got me the magazines to read from Focus on the Family. Uh, I was allowed to listen to Christian music, and only Christian music. Um, And I remember being in this subculture, and the messages that I got at like 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, uh, 8 might be a little early, somewhere around the 10, 11, 12 years old, There was this whole conversation that was swirling in this, influenced by the religious right, uh, prayer in schools, Roe v. Wade, obviously these are important issues, please don't hear me say anything else, but um, uh, evolution in schools, Uh, I remember, um, like I said, I grew up listening to Christian music, anybody listen to Carmen? (laughs) Yeah, you guys are in it to win it at this point, yeah, remember Petra? Okay. remember when Petra and Carmen got together? Yeah, they did. Boy, you got your... <laughs> uh, they did this song called Our Turn Now. Like the whole song was about like getting prayer back in schools. And it's our turn now. It's like hard rock, you know? Hard Christian rock. Something's about to change. We're gonna bind the devil at every hand by the power of Jesus' name. <laughs> that was 20 years ago i have that on cassette tape that is not on my iphone that's in there i didn't review that for this message Christian subculture works huh. and all of it's good and it's bad that is up there like a steel trap um but my point in sharing that was I was surrounded with a Christian subculture conversation that was very militant. Like we were going to take the mountain. You want to talk about, this whole sermon series gives me, I, like I said, I break out in sweats because you talk about taking mountains and there is, we are a short step away from this militant Christian. We're going to take the world back for Jesus. You just, you just wait. And I, oh, and and maybe that song was in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. That decision was made in 1962. 1962, 30 years later, we're still... See, the problem, and maybe you're like, I totally, I, I listened to Carmen on the way over to the church this morning. Like, what's the problem? Hmm. That's cool. Like, if that's where you're at and that you're a take the world back for Jesus, that's totally fine. I think that voice is very important to have at the table, and you need to help us shape that conversation and be a part of it. So don't let me push you out. Don't let me push you away. Uh, but for me, just for me, I need you to understand my angst when I do this series, uh, for me, I, when I was 12, it was awesome. It was very black and white, very black and white. Christians are in, non-Christians are the enemy, and I'm 12 years old, and that's cool. And then I grew up a little bit, and then life became a lot more complicated and complex. And then I grew up some more, and I went to even, even a fundamentalist Christian Bible college. Uh, and... Uh, and then I found, but even there, I found out that there was all these things that I wasn't told about. The internet really screwed up the Christian subculture thing, didn't it? <laughs> like, we, I found out there was all this stuff that I wasn't told about, either because the people that shaped me and mentored me and raised me and brought me up didn't didn't know, or they did know and they purposely kept me from it. I want to believe it was the former and not the latter. But somewhere along the way, I was like, man, this is, and, and I did what a lot of people did. I got angry. Luckily, I was, I was no matter what worldview they came from, I was surrounded by amazing people. I don't care whether they were fundamentalists and whatever, I, I was surrounded by great people. And so luckily, even though I got angry, I, I never got angry at Jesus, but a lot of people did. A lot of people misinterpreted all that. They got, a lot of people in my, my age, I'm right on the border of millennials, calm down. Um, a lot of people uh, got angry at Jesus and left. So, so there's a really important conversation for me, but I have to wade through all this other junk. Does that make sense? So, um, anyway, that's probably a good that's probably a good segue into the Bible. We should probably start talking about the Bible, and less about Marty's childhood. How does that feel? Okay, good, me too, I agree. We're gonna jump into 1 Corinthians here. Uh, The church in Corinth is dealing with a really unique situation. They have, uh, they've got all these divisions in the church where they keep claiming, like, I follow this, I follow Apollos, and I follow Paul, and this is my worldview, and this is my worldview, and and my worldview is better than yours because of who it comes from, and we're smarter than you, so really different than today. (laughs) But there's all these different worldviews that they're battling with and wrestling with, and Paul writes to them about, The divisions that they're struggling with. Where is the wise person, Paul says? Where is the teacher of the law? I like the old NIV. It says, where is the scholar? Where is the scholar? I was like, Paul, I dare you to stand up. Where is the philosopher of this age that knows all that there is that there is to know? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? I love this verse here. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God stronger than human strength. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God stronger than human strength. Now the tricky thing about this is no matter what camp you're from, whatever camp you cling to in whatever situation, we always claim this verse as our own and use it against whoever we argue with. Right. So uh, you could be a part of like the progressive educated elite and you think like well we've done all this research and we've done all this study and we've got all these letters after our name. So we have we know about the context of the scriptures, we, we have tapped into the wisdom of God and these poor, uneducated fools with their conventional worldly wisdom or you can be on the other side you can be like oh those ivory tower scholars and their their wisdom their worldly wisdom we reject all that in the name for a, in the name of a godly wisdom like we always think like we're the ones on the wisdom side like if you think that when you read this passage you have completely missed the point of what Paul's getting at <laughs> cuz Paul's point is there is no side that's like god's wisdom transcends all of that nonsense Like conservative, liberal, Republican, Democrat, Fox News, MSNBC. Like it transcends all that. It's not about getting lined up with the right worldview because that's the right one. Like if that's where you're at, you're still in the foolishness of the world. I don't care what side you're on. I don't care what side you're on. Like the wisdom of God transcends all of that. The wisdom of God transcends all of that. You guys, okay, there's a few amens. Okay, let's keep on. First Corinthians chapter three. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, uh (laughs) uh-oh. For any of us that engage in these arguments on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, for any of us that engage in these arguments, where are we coming from? We're coming from, uh, I think I'm wise by the standards of this age. Uh Uh-oh. If any of you thinks that you're wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools that you might become wise, truly wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. I don't. Don't care what side you're on. No more boasting about human leaders. This source, that talk show host, this president, that president, this candidate, that candidate. Enough, enough boasting about human leaders. All things are yours. Whether Paul, or Apollos, or Cephas, that's Peter, or the world, or life, or death, or present, or the future, all are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. Paul says, enough with trying to figure out which tribal camp you belong to and how your camp is more right than the other camp because the whole earth is the Lord's. It's all in Christ and Christ is God and you are in Christ, so enough. It's all yours. You can use it all. Every single voice can come to the table in humility, in compassion, in forgiveness. Every voice can come because it's all going to have to be a part of it. Because guess what? God's wisdom transcends whatever camp you come from. So we're all going to have to come. So, enough with the human leaders. Enough. See, I realized on Thursday night when I preached this sermon, I was not preaching a sermon on how to take the mountain of education. I was preaching a sermon on how not to take the mountain of education. (laughs) Which I think is a legitimate place to start. Because 30 years after, we were still singing music about how we we were going to come back. Like, we're going to put your rally caps on because we're coming back. It's the wrong conversation. It's the wrong conversation. And, And we... And we've, we can learn this from history. Let me say that. We can learn this from history. So throughout history, there's been two different schools of learning. There's been the Eastern School of Learning, and there's the Western School of Learning. In the Eastern School of Learning, uh, learning is about a communal dialogue, and it's because of the, what they believe about truth. For the Easterner, truth is unfolding. I did not say truth was relative, I said truth was unfolding. So truth is dynamic in their world, like it's growing, it's expanding, it's unfolding, or at very least, depending on your reference point, maybe it's our relationship with the truth. We're growing, our knowledge is expanding. However you want to look at it, the the relationship between us and truth is dynamic for an Easterner. And so because of that, There has to be this communal dialogue. And so learning in the Eastern world is horribly inefficient. Do you hear me? It's horribly inefficient. It can weather the dynamic nature of this relationship, but it's not built for strength and efficiency. It's built for depth and width and thoroughness. And so you debate and you consider, like the joke is if you have five rabbis in a room, you have eight opinions. (laughs) If you've ever watched Fiddler on the Roof, it's like, on the one hand, but then on the other hand, like Easterners are the best at disagreeing with themselves. <laughs> because learning is all about engaging the dialogue because truth is dynamic and the only way we will live through the change and the turmoil is together and so out of that comes the Mishnah. It takes them centuries to get the Mishnah written down. And then they figured out they didn't have enough written down so they had to write down the Talmud 150 years later. I like guess. And what is the Talmud? It's not one authority speaking, it's this group, it's this huge conversation that's been happening for centuries, being recorded and re- That's Eastern learning. On the other hand, you have Western learning. And Western learning comes from Hellenism, the Greeks and the Romans, the Greco-Roman world. And learning for the Greeks and the Romans was about, think about Rome, it's about strength. Like, you take this system of education and you learn, it's about efficiency, because you're gonna take the things that you learn, and you're gonna systematically put these building blocks and you're gonna build a fortress of knowledge. I'm not talking all negatively. Like, think about the world of medical advancement. Which one of us has not been touched on some level by cancer? And watch somebody we love go through chemo. Sometimes successfully. What is that? That's Western medicine. That's Western efficiency, strength in learning. So much good stuff has come from Western education. So we're not throwing it completely under the bus, but it has its own, it's also not perfect, it has its own problems. And that is, they don't believe in a dynamic truth. Western education has always believed in a static, absolute static truth. The problem is, is we've always been wrong about stuff. (laughs) And so every time we learn something new, we've built this fortress of knowledge that now has to be torn down, knocked down to the ground, and rebuilt. Now, luckily, we have a very efficient system to rebuild something new. But if it were simply that transition, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. But that transition is usually literally bloody and full of war and execution. Let me give you an example. Uh, we used to live in a world that understood that everything revolved around the earth. It's called the geocentric model. We believed in this for a thousand years. Geocentric model of the universe. It makes sense. Like don't. Of course we think they're idiots now, but there's no reason not to think everything doesn't revolve around us. Narcissistic human beings, read the book of Genesis, God created the world for us, obviously everything would revolve. It's a good assumption to start with. Okay? And we think the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, everything revolves around us. Right? And then, and then uh, and then we let me show you this diagram. We, we actually had we actually had this understanding of 10. It's a nice round number, 10. It's a joke. Um, 10, <laughs> Ten layers, 10 levels of heaven that all revolved around the Earth. And then we corresponded that because we had this marriage of church and state and church and education and all. We corresponded those 10 scientific levels of heaven to 10 theological levels, 10 theological truths of heaven. And so every one of the levels of scientific was corresponding to a theological truth of heavenly space. And so on one level you have the angels and then and then all these, and then the living creatures that surround the throne. And finally when you get all the way out to the end, you get to the level where God finally resides. So this wasn't just a scientific conversation, this was a theological one. And then we discovered we were wrong for a thousand years. Uh, a guy by the name of Copernicus, another guy helped a little bit later in the name of Galileo, and uh, we were able to, and then we traveled out there. It's a conspiracy. Um, and then we, we found, we, are indeed, we were indeed wrong about the geocentric model. We, in fact, have a heliocentric model. I don't know if anybody knew this. We have a heliocentric model, which is that we, we're, we are revolving because of the gravitational uh, part of the sun, and I'm not a scientist, but you get the idea. We're revolving around the sun, I know that much. We are, we are revolving, and so everything changed. Now, simple change, right? Because this had theological ramifications, we executed people. The church executed people for working through this kind of science. The church executed people. Like, data matters. Some of you are in the university. Some of you teach junior high. Some of you are in the edu- Some of you are homeschool moms. Some of you, like, you are involved in education vocationally. What you do matters. What you do matters. We executed people because we didn't understand it correctly. We thought a new scientific discovery totally disrupted what theology said. But don't worry, we probably don't do that anymore. (laughs) We can learn from our history. We can learn from our history. Okay. Um, Okay. So Western education has had its... Problems that we still grapple with and deal with today, because every time we discover something new, there is this huge cultural upheaval because it upturns everything that we believe to be true about God and everything else. Uh, this this can be like when we when we are willing to look at this, this can be unnerving because um, it's it's like oh we don't know everything. What are they going to say about us in a thousand years? Think about this over the last hundred years. Like leaded gasoline and paint. Asbestos. These people were crazy. They they rode without seatbelts. My parents threw me in the back of a truck and put carpet back there so that I could be comfortable as I rolled around and stuff. (laughs) This is in the last few decades. Think about the things that they'll say about us in 400 years, 1,000 years. Man, those people were Stupid. We are always in a process of learning. We don't want to admit it in the Western world because that feels like weakness and we're trying to build systems of strength. But if we're going to take the mountain of education, it's probably not going to be because we figured out how to own it militantly from the top down. It's probably because we learned how to engage it as a part of the conversation. So there's a quote from Ken Wilson that kind of talks about this. Ken Wilson says this, sources are being discovered that shed new light, better translations of those works are being developed. And all this new information is making its way from the elite academic institutions that do the groundbreaking research to the biblical scholars who depend on this information to do their work. Then the work is done by biblical scholars, slowly makes its way to, excuse me, to pastors and other people, that would be people like me, who try to keep up with all this stuff. No wonder there's so much turmoil over what many scripture texts actually mean in light of new information available about the historical context in which they were written. This is an exciting and vibrant time to better understand what the Bible actually means when it says something. For the same reason, it is also a nerve-wracking time. This is an incredibly unsettling thing to wrestle with and come to grips with that we don't own the mountain of education. But God already has invited us in our conversation this morning to something that transcends mere knowledge to something that's much deeper and much wider. Look at this passage from Second Corinthians. Let's go to the other Corinthian letter. We're missing one. It's probably a Third Corinthians is actually what this one is because we're missing one somewhere in the middle or before. Wouldn't it be great if we found that one? Uh, my teacher Ray used to always say, I'm sure that's the letter where he answers all the controversial questions that we have. <laughs> We put no stumbling block in anyone's past so that our ministry would not be discredited. Paul says, we simply teach people about Jesus. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, and the power of God, with weapons of righteousness, and the right hand and the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying yet we live on, beaten yet are not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. That is a biblical paragraph. Woo! Yeah, I love it when biblical text is so good it garners applause. <laughs> It's in the Bible. You should read it. Right. Yeah, this, this whole conversation, and I think this, the reason I share that is I think that's actually part of the problem for us in our world is for 1,800 years, we've been on the handle end of the sword. We've been in charge and we have not held the mountain well. We, we have not held the mountain well because we've held it from a place of power and comfort and privilege. And now that we're like over the last century, dirty little secret, we've been losing that place and we keep like convincing ourselves we'll just regain it. It was never the way that Jesus's people have ever held the mountain in the first place. Did you hear what Paul said? Beatings, persecutions, and imprisonments. Like to the point of death, but not Death. Sleepless nights, toil, hardships, persecution. Do you know what happens when they take coffee cups away in our culture? (laughs) We flip out. We wouldn't know how to endure this stuff. Paul says we go through everything to subvert the mountain of education in our world. And when we're done, we own nothing. And yet we possess everything. Everything. We would never make that trade. Okay. I I don't want to vamp anymore on that, or I'm going to get emails. So I want to go to. Yeah, Joe's back there going. Just keep on moving. Keep on moving. Colossians. Can I close with a couple passages out of Colossians? Okay. Are you guys okay with that? I've got 13 seconds left, but I'm going to read some Colossians work. Is that all right? All right, here we go. You guys don't got anywhere to be. The Son <laughs> is the image of the invisible... That's Jesus. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. I wonder how many things that is. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities... All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. The joke has been said before. You actually translate that phrase in the Greek, all things actually means all things. <laughs> it, it, all things. Uh, this isn't just about spiritual education, this is literally about everything. You know the story of David and Goliath? Familiar with that? Did you know the story starts because Israel doesn't have any blacksmiths? Like they have them, they're just not very good. Like how many of you would have like went at like blacksmithing, that is the holy sacred vocation of God's calling. (laughs) It was. Because one group of people held the blacksmithing technology and they oppressed the world with it. This Christ thing for Paul isn't about you going to heaven. For Paul, Christ, the Christ is about putting the whole world back together of which you are a part of. But it's about redeeming the whole world, all things, heaven and on earth and under the earth, literally all things. He is the beginning. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he, Christ, might find supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself All things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. For Paul, the cross is not just about your personal salvation, it's about the redemption of the whole created cosmos. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior... But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Education is going to be far more than just just the data. The data matters. It will also be more transcendent to that. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. A little bit later in Colossians, Paul will go on to write this. I'll close with these words. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person goes into great detail about what they have seen. And they are puffed up with idle notions in their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ, the elemental spiritual forces of this world. Why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not ta- do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with the things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom, with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, 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 humility and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Wisdom of God is up here. All these idle conversations puffed up with knowledge. Wisdom of God is up here. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory Since you have taken off your old self with his practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile. How does this whole thing, like I'm reading this whole poetic discourse, right? And you're like, uh, what does this all culminate in for Paul? Like, what does this all mean? This whole, like, Christ is in all, and Colossians is this heady, sophisticated Greek conversation about Gnosticism, and I don't have time to pull that all apart, but if, if it feels like this is, like, way up here, it is. And Paul's having this dualistic, Gnostic conversation about the Christ. Like, what does it all mean? Here's what it all means for Paul. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, Republican, Democrat, Trump supporter, Trump hater, Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. This feels different than it's all. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Marty, this is starting to sound like a bunch of liberal trope. I don't know, it's just the book of Colossians. <laughs> Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. If you notice, I'm reading the whole context, so I'm not just proof texting numbers. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. If we are going to take the mountain of education, it is not going to be because we positioned ourselves in just the right place to take it over at just the right time with all the right votes and all the right people in office it's going to be because we learned how to live like jesus whatever tribe we come from whatever color we put in our yard on in november whatever whatever it will be because we belong to a more transcendent conversation that doesn't reject the need for data, doesn't reject the need for knowledge, doesn't reject the need for education. All those things are needed. We need blacksmiths in the book of First Samuel. Holy cow, do we need blacksmiths. It all matters. And yet, it's about something bigger, wider, deeper. It's about love and mercy and compassion and forgiveness and the fruits of the Spirit. And it is not about being more right than the other. Camp. It's just not. It's an ongoing dialogue. And for all of you who are teachers, thank you. Th- I'm, I'm late, but you guys are second service. I listened to one of our people, Gerald Dalebout, teacher Dalebout, talk at, I watched the speech he gave at Moscow graduation on Facebook. He said, This generation of people, and I would agree, Generation Z, different than millennials, we'll have that conversation some other time. I'm a college minister, you can come talk to me about it. This Generation Z, he says, you guys understand what it means to disagree without having it affect the value of another human being. I want to know if anybody in this room will be willing to learn from that. We learn from that. We, I, I... Uh, now I'm getting on a soapbox I think this next generation may be the next great generation I mean I have some deep convictions about that and we we may learn something if we just step out of the way and go teach us I just doubt that any of us are going to have that kind of humility they they may they may take the mountain of education I hope we let them anyway enough Uh, we need to head towards the Lord's table uh, if you're visiting with us today, we have an open table. So as our servers go back to do that, uh, if you want to join us in celebrating the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, um, you're a family. You need to do that. Just hold on to the bread and the juice, and we'll take it here in a moment when we're all done. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. I like education. I don't know if you know that. I'm a big fan of learning. Uh, so let's go through some implications while they pass that out. First implication, education equips us and those we teach with the ability to fix our minds on things above. This does not come at the expense of the content. This does not come at the expense of the content. It's all spiritual. Soil and spirit were created together. In Genesis 1, there was no other place. (laughs) There was no other place in Genesis 1. It was all one thing heaven, soil, spirit, together. This does not come at the expense of the content, but it takes the content content, and it transcends this conversation and takes it to a whole nother level where we learn how to value kingdom things, the wholeness of the content itself and the value of the human beings that are engaging it. Okay, next implication. We will always be learners. We are always going to be learners. We may deny that. We may not want to admit it. We may want to act like we've figured it all out. We watched a documentary on Netflix, so why not? But we will... uh, TED Talk, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pick your poison. We We will always be learners. We will always be learners. Fools who are humbly shaped by the wisdom of God. Even those of us, you might be in this room, and you may be the world-renowned expert in whatever your field is. You may have the PhD. You might own that conversation, and yet there are still things, even in that field, you don't know. And even more importantly, there are still areas of compassion and forgiveness and patience that we've yet to grow in. And I wonder if patience has anything to do with that field that you engage in. I wonder if forgiveness has anything to do with that field that you are an expert in. I would argue it does. We will always be learners, fools who are humbly shaped by the wisdom of God, no matter how much we know. Next implication. An objective pursuit and sharing of knowledge will always be a part of what God is doing among the people in the world. An objective pursuit and sharing of knowledge will always be a part of what God is doing among the people of the world. Some of you already vocationally engage the mountain of education. You hold sacred ground. You do holy, sacred work. I'm a math teacher. Yes, that is holy, sacred work. How much of the progress of the last thousand years came out of the mathematics of the Middle Ages? You engage in holy, sacred work. I am not where the action is. The clergy, the church, the pastors, this is not where Jesus is doing all of his work. You are where Jesus is doing all of his work. And what you do is important. It's not you do that and then you come here. You you go out of here to do where the, what the action... It's my job just to... Our job is simply to open our eyes to the fact that you're already doing it. That's where the work is. You're already on the mountain. You tell us how you're going to take the mountain. Anyway, last... You'll notice the dot, dot, dot. And yet, and yet, there will always be a wisdom that transcends the things we understand with our minds and develops what we do with our souls. And yet there will always be a wisdom that transcends what we know with our minds, which is important. It will transcend that and develops what we do with our souls. Uh, we, there's two things about what you hold in your hand, this bread and juice that I love. Uh, one of them is that in your hands You get to see the wisdom of God What does the wisdom of God look like? It looks like this It looks like forgiveness It looks like patience It looks like the fruits of the spirit It looks like laying your life down on behalf of other people It does not look like it's our turn now The only turn that Jesus had was to lay his life down That was his turn That's what he did with his turn He laid his life down on behalf of others. That's what the wisdom of God will always look like no matter where you find yourself, on whatever mountain. And I don't know what the rest of the team will do for the last four weeks of this series, but whatever we do with the mountains, we will take mountains, not by the way of the world. We will take mountains through the way of what you hold in your hand, broken body, spilled blood. Always has been, always will be. And the next thing I love about this is it's this table where we all gather around it, no matter where, where we're at in the mountain of education. We could be high school dropouts, we could be triple PhDs. Like, it doesn't matter who we are, every single one of us is going to gather around a metaphorical table here and take the same body and the same blood. And in Christ, it's that thing that Paul was talking about to the Corinthians. In Christ, there is no... PhD and dropout. It's just all are are, all are yours in Christ. Because all are in Christ and Christ is in God. This is the greatest me too sermon you can preach when you take this body and blood. That night Jesus was with his disciples. He took the bread during a Passover meal. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples. He said, Take and eat, this is my body. Whenever you do this, remember me. Let's remember the wisdom of God. Later in the meal, he took a cup. He passed amongst his disciples. He said, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant. Whenever you do this, remember me. Let's remember what the wisdom of God looks like. Father God, it is incredibly difficult to engage a conversation in our world about taking your mountain and have it not pull us pull us and push us towards a I don't know an an unhealthy grabbing of stuff that you already own. You already possess it. It's already yours. It's it's incredibly difficult, God, to have the humility to remember that we're all just learners. There's so much that we don't know. There's so much that we don't understand. It's incredibly difficult, God, to to think about education and and to hold it loosely and engage a larger dialogue without seeking to control it. God, would you remind us this morning that all things are ours. We don't have to worry about getting it back because you never lost it in the first place. You remind us of what the father said to the elder brother in the prodigal son's story. My son, you have always been with me and everything I have is yours. God, would you remind us as probably a room full of elder brothers on some level, as people who follow you and run after Jesus, would you just look at us and say, my child, you have always been with me and everything I have is yours. Would you allow us to relinquish this white knuckle grip that we have on our comfort and our privilege? you help us to look more and more like you. I pray all this in the resurrected name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter, and visit our website, liferotp.com.